Thank you, Matt. Nice to see you this morning. Uh, I am, well, Matt told me I told the same joke last time, so I've got to alter it a little bit. Uh, God made me with a, just a, a stern demeanor, uh, demeanor is the right word. Um, angry resting face is also what people say. Um, I, I think that I would love to buy a copy of the t-shirt that I saw. It was a, it was a cactus, and then it says, uh, I'm a hugger underneath it. So if that helps, if you think, boy, that's funny, but he said it with a straight face, go ahead and just laugh. Uh, things will go better. Otherwise, it just seems strange. Uh, but uh, well done, Mercy Fellowship, uh, gifting the rich family with a sabbatical. Uh, it is a, it's an odd calling being a, a Christian leader, being a minister, being a pastor, being an elder. And over time, you, you get to a certain point where you have profound decision fatigue. You have profound empathy fatigue. Uh, it's hard to explain that, but uh, as a, well, just think about your life. You have, in your life, you have certain things that cause you incredible stress that keep you from sleeping. You know, financial trouble, uh, relationship difficulty, deaths in the family, uh, sometimes marriage crises, sometimes marriage crises, people close to you. Uh, all sorts of things can, can cause you stress, uh, lose sleep. Uh, but a pastor deals with those things weekly. A Christian leader deals with those things weekly. So you can just imagine over years of that that you just, it's, there's just, can, can almost descend on you a, a semi-permanent sadness. And so it is a, it's a good thing to let you, the, the Christian workers among you take long breaks so they can rest uh, so they can just have a season where they don't have to make a decision that affects hundreds of people. They can have a season where they're just really focused on reconnecting with their own family. And it is a beautiful, sacrificial thing that you're doing to let the rich family go and, and to have that rest. So, so well done, and, and I'm happy to come and to help uh, fill in for Chris, uh, even if uh, he and I are... are in many ways, different. I don't have half his energy, and I most certainly don't root for the Huskies. So uh, there's just a lot of differences between us. Uh, he asked me, to, he asked me to, to tell you about a new role that I've taken. Uh, I am part of, a, I'm part of two networks, Acts 29 and, and the Soma family of, the church, of churches. Som, the Soma family of churches has asked me to step into more of a regional and national role, uh, helping them form... Uh, apostolic teams in regions all over the United States, and so uh, I will be gradually transitioning out of my role as lead pastor at Soma Eastside and to doing more things in the region. That doesn't affect you directly, other than you might see me more often because my role will be uh, more regional. But Chris wanted me to let you know that you got, that that was that transition was, was happening for my family. All right, well, I'm going to start off with prayer. Would you uh, bow with me as we start this morning? Our Father in heaven, you are holy. You are almighty. Your name is above every other name. We praise you. We long for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And Father, as we come before you, you've asked us as your adopted children to come before you with requests. And so, Father, I ask for your blessing on Mercy Fellowship. I ask for your blessing on the rich family as they are resting. Father, I ask for help for our community. Father, weekly, it even feels like daily we hear reports uh, across our country about uh, shootings and tragedies and Uh, We think about wars in Russia and Africa and Asia, and Father, uh, we we can't seem to figure it out, what causes it, let alone stop it. And so, Father, we just ask you for help. Help our communities. Teach us also, as your followers, how to live. Father, knit us together, bind us together through mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Help us to forgive those who have wronged us. Show us how to care for each other better. Help us to make allowances for each other's faults. Keep us from evil. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful most of all for Jesus who pursued us even while we were still sinners. Even while we were still rebels, he pursues us. Father, thank you for Jesus who has given us his righteousness and taken away all of our sin. Father, out of our gratitude, we desire to live a life that is pleasing to you. Please help us through the power of the Spirit to do that. In Jesus' name, we present our requests. Amen. One of the most beautiful communities that I've ever read about was formed in one of the most dark moments in history. Uh, Men formed this community. It was an exclusively male community. It was made up of former soldiers and civilians whom the Japanese captured soon after Pearl Harbor and after their attacks on British holdings in the Pacific and the Philippines. These men, they were all put to work on a project, well, the, the prisoners of war called it the Railroad of Death, and it happened to cross at a key point, uh, the now famous River Kwai. These workers were all, pers- they were personally, just very nearly all worked to death. Uh, they were physically abused, and if they didn't perish to disease like cholera or malaria, malaria they, die- they eventually just became walking skeletons. Many of them saw dozens of their friends perish. Uh, Many of them died just because they gave up. They lost their will to live. So in this context, it's amazing that a community formed. The Japanese purposely tried to take away all hope. And as as these men were abused, starved, and caught various diseases, Uh, they gradually began to lose all compassion. What was fascinating was that many of them, instead of turning inward, they started to just simply look out for their own interests, stealing from each other. Uh, The author of the book that I read this in, uh, Ernest Gordon, said that the weak were trampled underfoot, the sick were ignored or resented, and uh, the dead forgotten. When a man lay dying, they had no words of comfort for them. 
When men cried, we averted our eyes. Amidst all this, men cursed their neighbors. They cursed God. They cursed the Japanese. He said cursing became such an obsession that they they constructed whole sentences in which every word was a curse. One of these abused officers, the author of this book, Curtis, or excuse me, Ernest Gordon, who was captured after the fall of Singapore, after months of inhumane treatment, he found himself unable to stand due to diphtheria, unable to work, and near death, the Japanese sent him to the hospital. But the hospital in this prisoner of war camp was called by the prisoners the death ward because there were no doctors, and they stacked the men uh, head to foot, head to foot, head to foot, side to side, side to side, where there was very little room and very little care. But there were two people who came in to care for Ernest Gordon. One was named Dusty Miller. He was a simple gardener from Newcastle, England, and Dinty, a devout Roman Catholic. And these two men, because they loved Jesus, gave him 24-hour care. They came in and they talked to him, trying to convince him to keep hope. The, uh, the other would uh, just massage Gordon's diseased legs so that there would be circulation, uh, giving Gordon some small hope that perhaps he would walk again. Slowly, steadfastly, quietly, lovingly, showing Gordon what, what the gospel looked like in both word and deed. And to everyone's surprise, perhaps except Miller and more, Gordon slowly improved, regained his strength, and one day is able to stand again and walks out of the death ward. The question I have for us this morning is, how long has it been since you were surprised by the power of community? Perhaps after COVID, you you longed for community, but how long has it been since you've truly experienced the beauty and the power of community? This is an interesting passage for me this morning. This is one of these passages that if you've spent any time at all in the community of saints and sinners, that is the church, you have probably read this passage, you've most certainly heard the contents in it, and there's nothing terribly controversial about this passage. There's nothing that you and I will need to spend a lot of time really diving into the Greek to understand the meanings of these words. But inside this passage, inside this this simple passage, lies the power of community. And it is a very simple passage to understand, but a profoundly difficult one to apply and to walk out. So Colossians 3. And maybe as we read this, you can see the instructions that allowed a hell on earth type place, a Japanese prisoner of war camp, to become a place where there was deep, transforming community. 
Colossians chapter 3. And I'm reading in the New Living Translation. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So to let you know where I'm going here this morning, five commandments uh, for the disciple, halfway decent title, but these, these commandments effectively are, are pillars for, of, a, of a strong community, pillars of a transformative community. So if, if, if Mercy Fellowship is to become what God is calling Mercy Fellowship to become, this community will need to not just acknowledge these words, but internalize them, live them out, so you, so you become strong, transformative. Frankly, that you become a church that, that everyone would want to be a part of. First, clothe yourselves with holiness. Holiness. High expectations. But the beautiful news is, the good news is, God asks us to clothe ourselves with holiness, and he's going he's to say, you know, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. But the good news of the gospel is that this is something that God gives us. God gives us Jesus' righteousness when we, when we accept him as our Savior, as we f- follow him as disciples. Uh, he gives it to us, but then he asks us to walk it out. And when this was written, when this was written during the Roman Empire, Roman religion wasn't something that influenced daily life. So this is a, as far as a historical perspective, this type of instructions to disciples of a religion is pretty remarkable and unique. Paul is not asking them simply to observe the Sabbath, or in our words, Paul is not asking the people, asking the followers of Jesus to simply attend church. He's not asking them just to take part in a ceremony like communion. Not just telling them, you know, make sure that you get baptized. He wants them to clothe themselves with holiness. Like it's a uniform that you put on. I could have come in here today and I I actually contemplated it. With a, with a uniform of sorts on to illustrate it. Matter of fact, when I preached this uh, years ago at Soma Eastside, I came in with a Boston Red Sox jacket on. And uh, it was a, I mean, it's a crowd of Mariner fans. Long-suffering, amen? <laughs> Mariner fans. Matter of fact, we had an, an executive uh, for the Mariners organization there, you know, sitting about row three. And I came in, came up to preach in a Red Sox jacket, and he just 
boo. And then, then just some following, follow-up comments that were appropriate. But, but when I got to this point, I just unzipped the Red Sox jacket, and underneath was a Ken Griffey Jr. uniform. Just showing, yay. The last one we could truly cheer for. Uh, but this is, this is our uniform, brothers and sisters. This is what, what people should see in us, through us, on us, just the, the, this, this holiness. And it's, it's not a list of things that we don't do. This is, a very, this is a very beautiful, practical list. He says, tender-hearted mercy, compassion, pity, tenderness expressed towards people who are suffering. It's, it's our uniform. It's our story. It's, it's who we are. It's, it's what we do. It's It's deep. If you wonder, and I, I think this is, a, this is a question that historians often ask, is you know, how, did, how did the church get established in the Roman Empire? How did it overcome paganism? How did, it, how did a, a faith that was started by a Galilean peasant who never wrote anything down, that never led an empire, that never led an army, how did, he, how did that faith completely overwhelm the Roman Empire in 300 years? The answer was tender-hearted mercy. Rome was a was a empire that had that was hit by famine after famine after famine, and they would often get their grain from uh, from Egypt, from faraway places. And so, if these faraway places had uh, serious famine, the Roman Empire just starved. But the Christian church was known for storing up grain, for caring for whole lists of, of people who were in need. The church in Rome, uh, at, its, at its peak, uh, before the empire fell, had a list of 1,500 widows that the church in Rome cared for. They effectively, as a church, as they became stronger and stronger and stronger, ran a miniature welfare state. And that was in stark contrast to the surrounding culture that believed it was immoral to care for weak people because you would just encourage that behavior to continue. It got so, the contrast to the surrounding culture got so stark that a Roman emperor, Julian, as he's watching these Christians have tenderhearted mercy towards the poor, and the children who were abandoned. He told the, the pagan, the people running the pagan temples, he told, he wrote uh, to influential Romans, encouraged Roman citizens to start caring for people in the empire just like the Christians do. And he just talked about how embarrassing it was that these people would care for people that were not even of their own faith and that they would help uh, people that actually hated them. Tender-hearted mercy. God wants us to put it on like it is our uniform. He also wants us to have kindness, to be gracious, 
that are uniform, that our, our first impression on people would be kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Wouldn't you like to be part of a community whose uniform were those things? Second commandment for the disciple after being clothed with holiness is to make allowance for each other's faults and forgive. Verse 13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgives, forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance for each other's faults. Isn't that an interesting follow-up to holiness? Effectively, Paul is writing to the church and saying, I want you to put on holiness like it's a uniform, and then I want you to have, effectively, to have lowered expectations for your fellow believers. Beautiful, hard-to-balance Christian contrast. When we started the church years ago, planted, planted in about 2005, I think somewhere around 2006, just being aware of our own weaknesses as a church, the elders regularly joked that our, our theme for our church was, well, our, the name of the church was Aletheia. So Aletheia, you could do a lot worse. That usually is funnier when I say that. I don't know if I'm, if maybe I'm not coming, maybe I didn't tell that joke too well. Maybe I should retire that joke. Either way, strange contrast. Be holy. Clothe yourselves with it. And then just be aware that the church is drawn from the general population. Just be aware that people are going to let you down. Be aware that elders are going to disappoint you. That Christian leaders, that Christian staff are going to disappoint you. That people in the church are going to stab you in the back that they are going to let you down, that they are going to tell you untruths, that they are going to try their best to care for you, but actually hurt. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive. Isn't forgiving difficult? Anybody? Audience, audience participation time. Anybody else having a hard time forgiving? Anybody? Isn't it amazing that Jesus said statements like, if you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you? Isn't that just amazing how stern that is? But, but the commandment to the disciples of Jesus, one of the pillars of our community, if we are going to be strong, is just understand that other people are going to hurt you and then forgive. And if it's helpful, I just want to remind you that forgiveness is an ongoing journey, not a single act. Forgiveness is giving the hurt to God, not minimizing or excusing the sin. Forgiveness is giving an opportunity for the offender to regain trust and restore the relationship, not blindly ignoring ongoing mistreatment and mistrust. Forgiveness is sometimes setting healthy boundaries, 
Sometimes forgiveness, well, I think forgiveness is always a gospel-centered path to reconciliation and stands in stark contrast to canceling people. And it probably is worth saying that this that forgiveness needs to be in a community in order to guard against ongoing abuse. But nonetheless, we are commanded, brothers and sisters in Jesus, to make allowances for each other's faults and forgive. Point three, bind yourselves together. A disciple is commanded to bind themselves together, to be committed. Perhaps some of you, when you were married, the, uh, the, the officiant had husband, hand, wife's hand together like this and then wraps a, a rope around the two hands. An old picture in weddings for how two were becoming one, how they were binding themselves together, how they were committing to each other. I don't know how a community becomes strong without commitment. Verse 14 says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Commitment to each other is not something, sadly, that we saw illustrated church-wide during the last couple of years. But in order for community to be formed, we have got to commit to each other. It is possible that leaders, ministers, pastors need to do this better. That maybe one of the reasons why we are so un- uncommitted as a church is because the pastors don't illustrate this very well. But number three, bind yourselves to get together. Commit to each other. Fourth commandment to disciples is let peace rule. Verse 15 says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let peace rule. Peace is a calmness of mind that is not ruffled by adversity. It is not overclouded by sin. It is not something that is troubled by a remorseful conscience or disturbed by fear or the approach of death. It is peace. And it rules. It is the judge that makes a decision whether to do something or not. And it is good for us to remember that this is hard work for a disciple. Peace comes when you are submitted to Jesus and even sometimes submitted to the authority that God gives you. If I could make a confession... I have never been part of a church that I fully agreed with. Let me say it one more time. I have never been part of a church that I fully agreed with. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. 
but I imagine if you know that I planted a church and still have never been part of a church that I fully agree with. If, if God wants us to have strong, transformative communities, he needs us to be at peace in those communities. Hear me, even if you are not in full agreement with everything that that church says or does. But instead, let the peace of Christ rule you. I think one of the things that leads to us not having peace, not having commitment, is just thinking that I will fully commit to a church when I finally agree with every single thing it does. In some ways, that might explain why so many of us bounce from place to place to place instead of putting our roots in deep and committing long-term to a group of people. In some ways, the peace of Christ comes on us when we, folk, when we major on the majors and just let the other stuff just go. Fifth command, be grateful. Be grateful. It, that is a difficult thing to apply, but, it's, but Paul says be grateful. Verse 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as member of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I don't know how many of you complained about the weather today. Anybody? Anybody? I looked up, uh, I looked up what Cliff Mass had to say about the weather for this summer because I am, uh, my eldest daughter is getting married. We have an outdoor wedding in June. And I was looking up June, and he said, um, May was the coldest and wettest since 1948. And then he said, June will be the coldest and wettest since 1948. He said, there'll be so much rain in the first week of June that it, you will have more rain in the first week of June than we usually have for June as a whole. But isn't it amazing how green this place is? And don't you know that people in California would just, would love to have the storm that we just drove through on the way here. A storm so strong that even though we had the, uh, the windshield wipers on full, we could still could not barely see the road in front of us as we're traveling up 405. Grateful. Are we grateful for the green? Are we grateful for the water? Are we grateful that, uh, that our, our lawns won't die like everybody in the state of California and Nevada and New Mexico and half of Texas? Grateful. This is a learned habit, and can we also be grateful for the community that we're in? Instead of picking apart the little things that aren't good, can we be grateful that the gospel is preached? Can we be grateful that people earnestly try their best even though they are not always successful in portraying and showing the love that they want to? Be grateful. Those are the five points. What are the implications for us? A couple implications, I think, are key, and then I want to finish the story that I started with. The first is just a reality check. This is a really difficult passage to apply. Super difficult 
are super easy to understand, super hard to do. Amen? How many of you were shocked when you came in this morning that, that the, the pastor on stage told you to love each other? I mean, right. You guys were expecting that, weren't you? But, but I look across this room, different ages, different life situations, and you know how hard this is to consistently put other people first, to show mercy to someone, not for the first time, but for the tenth time. To be kind with someone, not for the first time, but the tenth time. To be humble. To think of others more than yourself. Even gratitude. Difficult. This, let's just be honest, that this takes supernatural power. This is something that you and I cannot do on our own. I mean, you look at our society as a whole, what we're, what we're asking of the church to be loving to each other is, uh, is profoundly difficult. To put on love as a uniform, profoundly difficult. So how do we do this? Brothers and sisters, we need to become people who are prayers who spend time in prayer. I don't know if, you, if, you're a, if you're a note taker today, if you are, just maybe the thing to write down is, how much time did I spend last week in prayer? Asking for this, asking for the strength to obey the commands that Jesus has given you. How much time do we spend meditating on who we are in Christ and what he has called us to do. If, if the only time that you spend thinking about what God has called you to do, just, you know, and a half hour or 40 minutes from, a, from someone talking on, on a stage to you, if that's the only time you spend meditating on, on Jesus' commands to you, my guess is that you are not very successful at obeying these hard commands. We need to become a people who are praying, who are meditating, who are really begging God for the strength to be the people that he has called us to be. And I would also say that we need to do this as a community. You cannot be loving and kind and tender-hearted with mercy and patient and humble and grateful and peaceful on your own. This is a community thing. It also keeps us from enabling. Had a, a difficulty in the last couple of months in the church that I lead, and a um, couple asked for help, and I, uh, I normally would jump into these things, but I know that my Particular spiritual gifts are primarily encouragement rather than prophetic. Prophetic meaning uh, somebody who looks at a situation and just, you know, calls it like it is. I'm more of a, I'm going to focus on what th these people are doing well and encourage them to keep doing that. Other people are the type of people that would say, look, I understand what you're doing well, but these are the three things you need to change now. And so instead of wading into the situation by myself, 
I brought in several other people, one who was more of a prophetic gifting, one who has leadership skill, and we are able as an encourager, as a leader, and as a prophet to actually make a difference in this couple's life. When, when God calls us to be loving, to be a, a community that is strong, he gives different gifts to different people so that this actually can be done effectively. You cannot apply what I'm asking, what I'm pointing you to today if you do it on your own. This is also something that we need a deep understanding of the gospel in order for us to be what, who and what God is calling us to be. In order to show forgiveness to other people, you have to understand the depth of sin in your own heart. You have to understand exactly what God has already forgiven you for if you're going to have the heart to forgive someone who is near you. I guess maybe the, the next question for us on these implications is how do we know that we've arrived? How do we know that that we've actually become this type of community that obeys these instructions, that understands the gospel to the point that we're able to actually forgive others? Well, I think part of the answer to that is we we start to become a community that other people are drawn to because of that tender-hearted mercy, that care, that love. When we started the, the sermon, we were talking about Ernest Gordon and how he had become a prisoner of war with the Japanese. They had worked him nearly to death. He caught diphtheria, and he was no longer able to stand. They put him in the hospital, which was actually a death ward. And as he, as he lie there, just day by day, inching his way towards death, two people came in, encouraging him to, to maintain hope and encourage, and also massaging his legs, giving him uh, appropriate circulation so that he, he could regain strength. They would, borrow or st- they would borrow food, they would find food for him uh, and gradually nursed him back to health. Against all expectations, Ernest was able to eventually stand up and walk out of that death ward into the camp church. And the camp church wasn't a building. They actually called it the church without walls. They had just cleared a section of bamboo, maybe the size of, you know, half this sanctuary. They cleared a bamboo, and each week, the men in the, in the, in the camp that were followers of Jesus would meet. And Ernest talks about this, this church, this, this gathering of men, this, this fellowship growing man by man by man. And what sparked the growth of this church was people loving each other sacrificially. One of these men was named Angus. There's a lot of Scottish names in this story. But Angus, he had a... He had a mate, he had a friend, uh, he had somebody that, they, that he was committed to, they were, um, they were just kind of, you know, best friends, 
uh, in a comrade sense, in a warrior sense. And his friend got very ill uh, and like Gordon, couldn't walk. And so Angus began to give up his food so that his brother had food. He also would leave the camp, um, find medicine, bring it back to him. Regardless, uh, the, the dramatic event one day in camp was when Angus just fell over dead. And everyone looked at Angus as he had literally given his last bite to eat to his friend. And as his friend was gradually gaining in strength, Angus just keeled over and died. As the camp saw this, they just saw this beautiful picture of who Jesus was. Another soldier was executed because he, he was captured outside the gate as he was finding medicine for his dying friends inside the camp. And as these things just began to steamroll, it was remarkable just to watch Gordon uh, show how love inside this strong community just became contagious. This mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience slowly built this community into a place where in probably the worst place in the, this is pretty standard. Okay. So Chris probably just builds it right into his sermon. It's like, okay, at, uh, at 11.05, I just need to stop. Okay. Is that over? Is there going to be another one, or is that pretty much it? Thank you. I've completely lost you, haven't I? Should I just close in prayer? <laughs> What's amazing to me, whenever, whenever people ask me what, you know, what book they should read on World War II, I usually go to this book. It's called The End All Wars. But what's remarkable about it is you, just, you have this awful, awful situation. World War II. And then you take, what's the worst, what's the worst couple spots in World War II? Well, you've got death camps, Nazi death camps where they're, they're killing six million Jews. And then the second place is these, these camps, these prisoner of war camps in Asia. So in one of the worst places during one of the worst times in history, you have perhaps the most beautiful Christian community I've ever even read of. And, and what they do is they just simply obey the commands of Jesus. They care for each other. They're patient with each other. They are literally just sacrificing their own lives for each other. And what happens is this beautiful community forms that is unbreakable. And these Japanese soldiers, some of, some of which will go on uh, to become Christians themselves, cannot believe how they just, all they do is they, they just hate and try and destroy and literally murder these men, and they just look back at them and say, I love you, and Jesus loves you. This remarkable community forms. It really just, it, it, it defies my ability to describe it for you. But here's the beautiful thing, brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I have the same commands from Jesus. Love each other. Think of each other first. 
forgive each other. Be committed to each other. You know, bind yourselves together. And every time the church does this throughout church history, whether it's Rome 2,000 years ago, whether it's in a prisoner of war camp in the 40s, or whether it's in Marysville right now, that type of love and community is absolutely transformative. I bet if we went around and talked that most of you who came to faith came to faith because you saw this type of, some degree of this type of love for each other. I know for me, as a lonely teenager walking into a youth group, and for the first time in my life being actually accepted, loved, appreciated, cared for, pointed me right to Jesus. Jesus wants that for you and for me, for us. Amen? And these commands are not easy, but with the Holy Holy Spirit power, it is doable. Doable. Gordon survives the war. The two buddies that bring him to faith, one is literally crucified by the Japanese. His dying words are something like, Jesus loves you. His other friend was, they, the Japanese would put him on, onto boats, unmarked boats, and just let him drift in the Pacific until the, the boats either shipwrecked, sank, or were sunk by an Allied ship thinking it was a Japanese warship. But Gordon makes it back, and he, amazing last chapter, he just talks about coming back to the church in England and not being able to find the type of community that he had in the jungle. And so he goes to work, he goes to seminary, studies how to become a Christian leader and becomes a Christian leader so he can encourage people towards this path. Be holy. Clothe yourselves with holiness. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive. Bind yourselves together in love. Be committed to each other. Let peace rule. And be grateful. Can I pray for you?